Lord, we, we give you glory. It's all about you. We are this morning here for you. We want to celebrate you. We want to say thanks for the cross. We want to say thanks for the blood. We want to say thanks for the redemption. To you be the glory. Today and forever. In Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I think it was at the prayer meeting. Uh, it was uh, Duane, I think, who said, Billy, today is your officially last message. <laughs> and, uh, and another person said, okay, when would be the unofficial one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been uh, doing a little study about how the church came to be uh, because uh, for what I'm about to embark in with Melanie, we, I just want to encourage myself in the Lord. You know, sometimes you cannot wait for encouragement to come from the outside. You have, like, uh, like David at Ziglag, the Bible says, encourage himself in the Lord. Sometimes you just need to go in the Bible and just encourage yourself in the Lord for whatever you, you may be facing. I've been studying about how the church came to be. The church came to be really in an atmosphere of hostility, of adversity. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ still stands. And that church is still thriving. And I would like us to share, <clears throat> I would like to share with you about, about that a little bit. And we are going to see the story in Acts chapter 3. It's about the story of a, a, a lame, a beggar, who was there. And, and it's, it's a story about the power of God that turned adversity into opportunity. So we will see uh, that story. But I would like to, to brush a little bit, a big, a, a broader uh, context about, about the church in general, the atmosphere of the church at that time, before we can, uh, we can read the test. Let's read. Read. Let's go to, to Acts chapter 3. We are going to read from verse 1 to 10, and then from... And chapter 4 for verse 13 and 14. Let's start with Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 10, and then we'll jump to chapter 4, verse 13 and verse 14. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they led daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed, directed his gaze at him and as did John, and said, Look at us. 
and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's jump to chapter 4, and we can read two verses there, verse 13 and verse 14. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceive that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So I wanted to give a, a big, a really broad context of of the church at that time before this event, this event happened. I want to talk about limitations in the genesis of Christianity. There were many problems. There were the problem of the background of the pioneer, Jesus Christ himself and his disciple. You know, when you read uh, John chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible said Jesus came to his people but the, his people did not receive him. But for those who receive him, God gave them the power to, to become children of God. But sometimes we don't ask ourselves why they didn't receive Jesus. They didn't receive Jesus because, you know, in the Hebrew culture context, when they ask you who you are, they want to know the name of your family. They want to know if your family was the name of your family was noble. They want to know your genealogy. So it was difficult for them to trace in the natural the father of Jesus. Because in the Bible you will see sometimes when they ask, is Jesus the Messiah? Okay, tell us his father. <laughs> it was difficult for them to trace uh, the, the natural father of, of, of Jesus Christ. That was a problem. And, and, the, and the, the Jewish people, they didn't, even today, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. If you tell them that Jesus is the Messiah, they will ask you, who is his father? So they want to tell you, we don't really, it's, there is a cloud behind his father in the natural. We don't believe Joseph was his father. So that was a problem. And Nathaniel, the episode Nathaniel, he said to Philip, can anything good come from Nazareth? And if you look at Nazareth, Nazareth was a place where common men were. Those people were not prominent. They were farmers, they were fishermen, they were not prominent. 
So that was a problem. We don't believe the Messiah will come from, from a place like Nazareth. Another problem was a problem of non-formal training. Jesus did not go to school. When it was time for him to go to school, he was a refugee in Egypt. He was running from Herod. Herod wanted to kill the children. So he did not have a, a, a formal training. And also his people, the people that he chose, they were a bunch of ignorant Galileans. Now, in the Feast of the Pentecost, if you read uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when people, the Jewish people came from different parts of the Palestine, they came to, to celebrate Pentecost. The people were saying, how come those Galileans are speaking our language and we can hear them? It was, it was like a mockery. It was like saying, how can, we, how can those Galileans speak a refined Hebrew without accent? Something like that. Because Galileans were people, non-educated people. They were simple people, really common people. So that was a problem. They did not have any formal training. But you know how God sometimes he uses the weak to do his best. And there was also a problem of infrastructure. When the church started, the church did not have a building. So they were meeting at the temple courts. And, and the temple, that was Judaism. That was, not a, that was not the church. So there was friction between the church and Judaism. And as we will see in chapter 3, why the priests were upset? Because John and Peter were having the revival in front of someone else's church. <laughs> they, wanted to, they, were, they were healing people in front of the temple. The temple was not the church. So it would be like, uh, let's say someone across the street started a church, right? And then a few of our members say, okay, let's, we are a little curious, let's go see what's happening there. And we go there, God begins to heal people and our problem begins to be solved. I know we're all spiritual, right? We say, those who are not against us are for us. So it's the work of God. The kingdom of God is being expanded. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think we'll react that day. We will be a little annoyed. They can have the revival somewhere else. Why cannot heal people on the street or in the, on the seashore somewhere? So the church did not have any building. Now, for those who do projects, if you give them those three elements, the background of the leader is questionable, they don't have any training to do what they, they want to launch, and again, they don't have a building. Those who do projects will tell you that that church will not succeed, that project will not succeed. But if you see all the structures that started in the first century, there is no way we cannot find them anywhere. But we can still see the church of Jesus Christ today standing and thriving. Why? Because our God works beyond limits. Hallelujah. 
We serve a God who walks beyond, beyond limits. So this is the context in which we are going to see this story of, of this beggar. So there are a lot of limitations, and we don't really see where this church is, gonna, is going to go. But as we, we will see, God is power turn adversity into opportunity. Let's see this story in chapter, in chapter 3 that we read. Let's see what's happening there. Now, we see the healing of this beggar. First of all, it's very interesting. This beggar never asked for, to be healed. It was just by mercy. God's mercy. God decided this is a divine encounter. I will meet this man at this, uh, they call it the Solomon portico. I will meet this man there and I will touch him. And this is true for us. Sometimes we, sometimes we pray, sometimes God just decides to, to intervene in our lives. Now, this man wanted, they were putting this man there at the entrance of the temple because they wanted an, a tangible answer for his immediate needs. This man needed food. He needed uh, shelter. He needed uh, clothing. That's why they would will, they will put him in front of the, the temple to ask for money. But God had something bigger, something deeper, a solution for his deeper problem. You know, one aspect of uh, the identity of men, when men meet, they ask each other, what do you do for a living? So this man had a problem, a deeper problem. God wanted him to have a job. And for him to have a job, he wanted to heal his feet. He wanted to have money, but God wanted to, for him to start walking again so he can have a job, so his identity can be healed. So God had in mind something even bigger, even good, even better for, for this man. And God does the same for us. Sometimes we say, God, uh, give, us, give us this, give us that. God will address even the deeper problem that, that we have. And this man gets healed. I have to believe because they said after that, the disciple enter in, into the temple. I have to believe the program in the church, they change a little bit. And then this other point, our crisis. When we have crisis, we give it to God. God turned those crises into, into opportunity. Now, God is a strategic God. You see, this beggar man, this uh, beggar, he was there at the entrance of the temple, but he was at the site of the entire city. People knew this man. And God, God knew that if I heal this man, the entire city who knew him will come. And this, this will be the opportunity for Peter then to, to proclaim the good news to the entire city. Because the Bible the Bible called miracles, uh, signs and wonders, the bread of the children. 
So sometimes miracles are like advertisement to attract people. And when people are attracted, now we have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So since this man was known, was at the site, it was a familiar site to the entire city, God strategically wanted this man to be healed. And he got his healing, and then Peter had a, a large audience to proclaim, to proclaim that Jesus was the true king of Israel. Our crisis, when we give them to God, God will change them into, into opportunity. And, and then we can see the growth happening in the church. We can see that in chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came, came to about 5,000. So 5,000 babies were born into the church that day because God allowed that healing to attract people and then people, the, the word of God, the, the gospel to be preached and, and the growth of the church was, uh, was uh, really evident. But I have to believe also the, the growth came also because Peter and John walked together. If you see chapter 3, verse 1, you see a, a little details there. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour. Peter and John, they were together. <laughs> they were together. And Psalm 133 said that it's good for a brother to be together. And there the blessings of God flow. So when we are together, when we work together, we, can ex we will experience growth. We will experience the blessing the blessing of God. Let's see a few principles that I took from, from this uh, text here. Every difficulty, when we give those to God, they will become a means for God to accomplish His sovereign will and perfect plan. We all have inadequacies, we have limitations. We can, we, can, we can choose either to keep them or to give them. We saw the message about uh, looking for the king. The solution is to look to him. So when we give God our limitation, any difficulty we have, God will turn it. He will turn everything for our good. Everything. Sometimes you say, I'm a, I'm a woman. Well... <laughs> Women are doing everything men are doing. Even uh, mid-prayer has a wrestling team with girls fighting. Don't fool yourself. Those girls will put you down <laughs> if you're not careful. <laughs> Sometimes we say, I'm old. You're not old. You're just a different stage of your life. You have gleaned a lot of wisdom in life. Now it's time to pour out that wisdom to the next, the next generation. Uh, take a, a young couple, bring them, have coffee with them, and tell them how you did it with God. And instill hope in them. 
let's give our difficulty to God. God will be amazed to see what God will do with those. God can teach us something we cannot earn or learn in school. We know God, the way God uh, prepares leaders uh, is different. Is, is a, sometimes God uh, will allow you to go to a formal training. You go to school, go to a Bible school, to go to the university. Sometimes God will use that, uh, that path. Sometimes God will put you alongside of a mentor, like Samuel. Samuel was with the priest Eli, was teaching him how to hear the voice of God. God sometimes does that. Sometimes God will, uh, uh, will uh, raise leaders in a strong church, a good church. A good church will be raising leaders as well. And sometimes God will just teach you by himself like he did with Moses in the backside of the desert, teaching him how to, how to lead the sheep and later on to lead people. So we need to trust God. God will teach us, God will equip us, and then will send us. If we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, no obstacle is permanent. That gives me hope. It, it doesn't matter what you're going through right now. Only the word of God would stand. Everything else is not permanent. Yeah. So if you're going through something, a difficult period in your life, just hanging in there with God. God is the only edge we have. <laughs> if you leave God, you, you lose everything. So look to God. Stay with God. And God will change. That obstacle will not remain. It will go. Only the word of God will stand forever. But our problems are going to be there just momentarily. We need to know that. And number four, Jesus always challenges the limits that are imposed on us. We have to win all the time. <laughs> we are on the winning side. So God will be challenging those limits if we choose to give them to him. He has big shoulders. Sometimes we, sometimes we, 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 we keep those burdens that normally were supposed to go at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we want to, to tackle them ourselves. And you, you know what God does? He just observes us and wait until we get tired. You know, they say if someone is... a for those who swim, if you want to help someone who is drowning, don't go in the water right away. Just let them get tired. Because if you try to help them, they will bring you down with them. Just let them battle, and, and when they are tired, they, they can no longer do it themselves and then go in there and help them. Sometimes God does like that too. If we are strong enough to tackle our own problem, God will let us do it. But once we cry, the Bible says, if you cry to Jesus, you will be saved. When we bring our problem to him, it's going to destroy all those limits that we impose, we put on ourselves sometimes. 
And history informs the present and guarantees the future. What God did yesterday, he will do today, he will do it tomorrow too. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, when Moses was asking God, God, I'm about to go to this mission, but if they ask me your name, what am I going to say? He said, tell them I am who I am. And then and, and if you read the next verse, he said, tell them that the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob send you. This will be my name for generation to generation. God wanted to tell them, I'm God of generations. I'm God who worked with Abraham. I worked with Isaac. I worked with Jacob. I will work with you today. I will work with your kid as well. So we serve a God of generations. That's why everything, every principle you see in the Bible, it's for you too. That's why we go to the Bible to find encouragement, to find, uh, to be encouraged to, if God, you did it with them, and it's the Bible, you want to do it with me. Uh, so God does not play favorite. If he did it yesterday, he will do it again. He will do it again. Sermon in one sense. Today we just want to reset things. Well, now you are tired with all those turkey and those Thanksgiving. We want to give you something to keep you going. So sermon in, in one sentence is this. Christ's faith does not deny adversity, but it focuses instead on the God who works beyond, beyond limit. God will do beyond what you can think or you can ask. Don't put limitation on you, on yourself. I'm the last in my family. I am, uh, I mean, we put a bunch of, you put, I mean, it's sex. your sex can be a limitation. Your race can be a limitation. Your age. What else? What people say, people say you will not amount to anything. I remember one pastor in Congo, by the time he was 13 years old, his aunt said, you will not amount to anything in life. And one day his father, his own father looked at him and said, I'm just disappointed to have, to, to have had you in my life. Because by the time he was 13, he was a thief. He was climbing in people's house and stealing and smoking weeds and all of that. But you know what? He came to know Jesus. Oh, Jesus will do all the difference. <laughs> he accepted the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior. And his life began to change. God destroyed all those limits they put on him. It's amazing. And uh, I mean, this is true story. I mean, his wife was, uh, 
the, the manager of the, the midwife at the hospital, his wife did not even have shoes. Can you believe that? That's how poor they were. I mean, she had those uh, flip-flop. She would go to work with those flip-flop. And in Congo, you have those big rain, and sometimes it rained for the entire day. The rain just poured down, and one of the flip-flop just went with the water. So they had a choice. She had a choice to either go to work with one, one side of the shoe or just go bare feet. And she was going bare feet to work. Can you believe that? And he had to tell her, sister, you need to help my wife. She doesn't have shoes. <laughs> and when he got saved, he went to ask the Lord, say, God, this is, I don't believe. This is not working for me. I'm going to take a few days to pray and fast. But it was a fast of complaint. God, are you really God? Look, I don't have enough. I, God just let him to, 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 I mean, to get all that stuff out of his system. And then when, when he finished, God said, did you finish? He said, yes, Lord. Okay. Let's go to the word. How many of those Jewish people I... I took out of Egypt and, and, and fed them in the desert. How many were there? He knew the Bible. He said, there were around three million. Okay. And God told him this. You believe I can take care of three million people in the desert? I gave them meat, bread, water was coming out of the rock, and I will, be, I will not be able to take care of your little family? And that was the end of it. He started repenting. He said, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe you can take care of me. And today it's history. This preacher from Congo has been in the White House. He's been everywhere. And he's ministering in South Africa today, a thriving church. God is good all the time. Uh, don't see your age. Don't, I, I, lo I love, I mean, I love the way we are here. We, yeah, we have many generations. Uh, don't say you are old. You are not old. This is the time to serve the Lord. Be a missionary. Go pour out your wisdom to peoples. Go preach the word of God. Uh, I'm young. No, you're not young. Like uh, Jeremiah. Don't tremble in front of them. If you tremble, I'll make you tremble in front of them. Just speak the word. Now, look at this verse. And I tell you, in Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There will be no limitation put to my church. Is going to go forward. I'm going to, to I'm God, I'm a God who works beyond limits, beyond limitations. Look at this other verse. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. If I was a part of that team of translator, I would say, now to him 
who is able to do beyond limits according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, we serve a God who never fails. What man cannot do, God can do. Uh, so you have a choice. You can focus on your problem or you can focus on the God who is beyond those problems. You can change your perspective. They say, I don't, you have to verify this, they say in Chinese, for those who know Chinese, what we call crisis, they call opportunity. They call that a point of change. Isn't something, when you see crisis, when you see crisis, they see, oh, things are about to change. This is a time of opportunity. Uh, God wants to turn around things in our lives, things in our community, things in our families. Worship team, come. That's all I have for you today. So we, God, God is a powerful God who changes adversity into opportunity. Let me read to you one verse and then we can pray. Uh, we can pray. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Let's trade our problems to the Lord. Let's trade our limitations. What's, what, what's bothering us? What's bothering you today? Maybe last week, before Thanksgiving, there was some situation you, that are waiting you again tomorrow or on Tuesday. They will not maybe change, but guess what? You can turn them to God. The Bible says this. Come to me, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find the rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God wants to trade our problem with his yoke, with his burden. We can carry them, or this morning we can say, listen, I'm, I'm going to, to drop them at his feet and, and, and be like, I wonder what God will do with them this, this time. Just be expecting what can do what, with what we, we drop at his feet. Don't pray and then after, before the service ends and you pick again those burdens that you... No, don't do that. Leave them at his feet and let them do what he does best. It will turn our adversity to opportunity for us then to proclaim that Jesus is the true king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Without you, we cannot do it. We are weak, but we bring our burdens to you. We bring that sickness that's bothering us for years to you. If you're able to 
to heal this disabled man from birth, you can touch us. We give you that situation with the children that are acting funny. God, you can handle them. We, we, we give you that situation with the job, difficult situation. You are the door, Jesus. We know that you can give us the solution that's permanent. Father, we just, I just lift up all the burdens that are in people's hearts in this morning to you. I give you those limitations and we wonder what you're going to do with them. We just leave them at your feet and we expect you to turn them into opportunity of your glory. We thank you. We bless you. We commit this day and this week coming into your hand. Have your way. In Jesus we pray. Amen.